0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up at verse 2. Last week we were at uh, in chapter 3, and chapter 3 kind of, uh, I don't know why, but for some reason verse 1 really, really fits with chapter 3, and so we're just going to pick it up after that in verse 2. So Paul writes, Colossians 4, verse 2, "...continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak." So Paul here is instructing the Colossians to be in prayer, and, and you know he's not speaking just to the masters. If you go to verse one, you know he had just addressed masters um, to to be fair and to be just to their slaves. In the Roman Empire, half of the empire was slaves; the other half were slave owners. And so this is really a revel- relevant thing for them in that in their culture and in that day and age. But Paul isn't just speaking to the masters here. He's speaking to the Colossians. Um, you know, he had just gone through speaking about husbands and wives. Again, we talked about that last week. Parents and children, the relationships between each of these, and then slaves and masters. Now, fortunately, we don't have slaves and masters in our culture here in the United States, but we do have employers and employees. And really, when you look at what Paul is telling slaves and masters, it really fits with employees and employers. And so wherever you are in that spectrum, whatever wherever, you know, role, you, whatever position you fit in that, whether you're a husband or a wife, a parent or a child, an employer or an employee, um, this is applicable to each one of us. And no matter what your position is, in order to continue walking in the Spirit, we talked about that. In order to continue walking in the Spirit, to maintain that position, pleasing God, you need to be in prayer. And that's why Paul is instructing everybody to be in prayer. And so he says, continue earnestly in prayer. That means to be devoted to prayer, to give unremitting care to time spent in prayer, that means not slacking off or stopping. And in, in other words, and you know, I think we all go through this, right? We all go into these periods of time where you know, oh man, I'm going to just focus on prayer, and I'm going to be, I'm going to just become a prayer warrior. And we go into these spurts, and we do the really good praying, and you know, we spend a lot of time praying. We do it every day, and then we stop, and then we stop for maybe a day or a couple days, or maybe a few weeks. Paul says, don't be doing that. Be constant. Be constantly devoted to prayer make that a, a regular part of your day and then he says being vigilant in it. Now being vigilant means to be watchful or to be awake or to be alert. And so he's saying in your prayer, be awake in your prayer, be alert in your prayer, be watchful in your prayer And what he I think what Paul is saying to you and I is to be engaged while you're praying. You know it's so easy to mindlessly rattle off words like, "Oh Lord, bless this day," or bless me or do that. you know and 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 what we should be praying is specific prayer lord god i'm I'm dealing with this situation right now, Lord, can you guide me through this situation lord lord i'm uh, there's this individual, and we're to pray specifically to the Lord and just not rattle off prayer, so be engaged when you pray, pray specifically. But I think it's also, being vigilant is also, you know, you think of somebody who's, you know, on a watchtower and they're, they're, they're vigilant. They're staying awake. They're being alert because they're watching for the enemy. And, you know, the Bible says that you and I are in spiritual warfare. We're in warfare against the spiritual realm. And so we're to be praying, uh, you know, when you interact with non-believers, maybe in your family or in your workplace, there is spiritual warfare going on. The enemy does not want Your loved ones or your acquaintances or the people that you speak with, he does not want them to hear the gospel. And so there's a battle going on. And so we need to be in prayer beforehand. We need to be prayed and and, and be prepared and to be watchful for that. But there's another spiritual warfare that also occurs. And that's a warfare against our own flesh, right? You know, where to be praying. You know, sometimes you might be going into a situation where you might be tempted to sin or going into a situation where maybe you failed before. Man, we need to be in prayer. Now, let's be realistic here. Avoidance is always the best thing, right? I mean, if, if you're an alcoholic, you don't go to the bar and then pray, Lord, just help me not to get drunk, right? I mean, I mean, that's kind of silly, right? You, you, you avoid those things where you know you're weak. But sometimes you're going to be in a situation where you know that you might struggle, Perfect example is maybe you have to confront somebody, or you need to you need to speak with some. Maybe it's a loved one or something, or, or some or, a, or an employee or something. And you know that man, I, I've blown it in the past. You know, I man, I've lost my top, I've lost my cool. That's where you and I are prayed beforehand. Lord, l- let me have Your Spirit when I interact with these people. Lord God, let me let me let me speak words of truth, but also words of love, Lord. And so we're to be praying beforehand. So we're to be alert. In our prayer. And then he says, with thanksgiving. Man, thankful prayer. You know, prayer is not just a laundry list of all the items you want God to do. Like he's this cosmic butler just waiting to, okay, anything you pray, you know, just give me your list and then I'll fulfill your list, you know. We're not giving him a grocery list. You know, we're to be thankful to God for the things that He's done. There's a few different passages. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In Philippians 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Why does Paul say, be thankful in our prayer? Well, first of all, thankfulness pleases God. It's his will that you and I be thankful. Thankfulness also gives us his peace and guards our hearts. Think about this. Now, I don't know if maybe you've got something that's really bumming you out right now. It's possible we all go through situations where things are really weighing heavy on us, or we're really, you know, it's like, why is this going on in my life? But think about this. If you were a born-again believer in Jesus Christ this morning, and you were to die in the next couple minutes, or the next day, or whatever, you have eternal life. And I guarantee when you stand before Jesus Christ, entering into eternity... In his presence, you're going to be so thankful. You're going to be thankful for eternity. Now, you and I as believers, we have eternal life. That is the blessing of blessings. Anything that God gives us above that, man, it's just icing on the cake. Really. I mean, we can say, yeah, but God's not doing this in my life. Yeah, but listen, you have eternal life, man. We're to be thankful. Christians are to be thankful people. We've been blessed. Anything that you've been blessed for above that is just—it's just—it's just icing on the cake, like I said. John Gill says this. Moreover, how should it be expected that a person should succeed in a present request who is not thankful for a former kindness? So you know, we're coming before the Lord. God wants us to be—you know—like your children. If you, do you want your children just to make demands of you or just to ask all this? You want them to be thankful for what you've already done, right? God's our Heavenly Father. He wants us to come and be thankful for Him in our requests as well. Not just, you know, Lord, do this, do that, do this. And so we're to be thankful in our prayer. So we're to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. But it doesn't end there. Paul says, but not only praying for ourselves, but praying for others. Paul says, meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul saying, hey guys, pray for me, pray for the guys that are with me, that God would open up a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. In other words, to make the mystery of Christ manifest or, or apparent. And He says, as I ought to speak. You see, Paul recognized that being saved meant that his life was no longer his own. When Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, Jesus said, I'm going to show you all the things that you're going to be doing. And from that point on, on, Paul was purchased by the blood of Christ, and now his life was not his own. And he recognized that. And he's like, man, I ought to be speaking the gospel. I ought to be reaching the lost for the kingdom. And so... From that point on, Paul recognized that his life was to live uh, a life of glory for the Lord. And you know, the same is true for you and I. And so, that's why Paul here is also exhorting the Colossians here, beginning in verse 5. He says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Those who are outside, he's referring to those who are outside of the faith, unbelievers. He says, walk in wisdom towards unbelievers. And then he says, redeeming the time. And that means basically to buy up the time or or to to to, uh, to ransom the time, to rescue the time from loss. So we're to walk in wisdom towards outsiders and rescuing the time from lost. And so we're to be spiritually prepared, uh, like I mentioned beforehand, through prayer. And that's why, you know, we're not, we're not legalistic saying, you know, you need to pray for 30 minutes at this time. But I want to encourage you Prayer early in the morning, before you start your day, is the best thing. It really is. I mean, we're not going to try to be legalistic. But seriously, when you get up and you start facing your day, that's when you're going to start going into the world. You're going to be interacting with things. Things are going to be happening. We need to be in prayer beforehand to be prepared. Have our hearts right as we start our day. And then, you know, as you interact with unbelievers, like we all do, you know, instead of small talk or talk that doesn't have any impact, on eternity. Let's redeem the time. Let's redeem the time from loss. Let's ransom the time for Jesus. If you Just make use of the opportunities you have through your day to turn the conversation towards Christ and the things of the kingdom. And that's what, that's what we're to be doing. Verse 6, Paul says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each one. Let your speech always be with grace. You know, right away you think of gracious speech, right? Where you're not, you're kind, you're not harsh, your words are, you know, you're not foolishly jesting. That's the obvious application when you think of speech season with grace. But I think Paul also means speech concerning grace. God's grace. <laughs> Excuse me. God's grace. And here's how I see it, you know, a perfect application of it in practical terms. You get interact with people in your life. You find an open door. You start sharing your testimony. How did God's grace impact your life? Hey, long time no see. What's been going on? Well, let me tell you, man. God's just revealed himself to me. You, know, you just start sharing your testimony with unbelievers. And then how is God's grace continuing in your life? What's God doing in your life now? How has God been carrying you through in your life? Those are things that you and I can share with unbelievers. And, of course, also sharing with one another. Believers encouraging one another. Being real with one another so that we can pray for one another. So, your speech seasoned with grace and concerning grace. He says seasoned with salt. Now, I've been accused of putting too much salt on my food. I like salt. Uh, I'm... uh, I'm a saltaholic or whatever you want to call it, sodiumaholic or whatever. And uh, I have low blood pressure, so I can eat more salt because I'm trying to keep my blood pressure at a good, healthy level. <laughs> but no, but, you know, salt's a flavor enhancer, right? And, and it brings flavor to food. When food's bland, it's like, blah, you know, it's like it needs some seasoning. Yesterday, I was, Teresa was coming home, and, and uh, I wanted to do something, and it's tis the season for soups, in my mind, anyways. And so it's like, okay, I want to make some soup. So I got out this gourmet soup book, and I'm looking at all these recipes. I'm like, pick a pepper sauce. I don't even know what pick a peppa sauce is, and... <laughs> rosé sec. I'm like, I don't know, what is this stuff? So I finally found a recipe that kind of was plain and Jane. And then so I made it and I, and Teresa came in and I said, look, I made this soup. What do you think? And she goes, I need salt. Like, okay. <laughs> I know. So we added, we added stuff and made it, flavored it up. But you know, that's what you and I are to do with our speech, with our conversation with people, believers and unbelievers. Man, we're to flavor it with salt. We're to where to, where to bring enhancement, bring flavor to it. What do I mean? I mean encouragement, edification, building up people. Words that, that just add just a beautiful flavor to the conversations that we have with people. Salt's also a preservative. In other words, bringing life to a conversation that is devoid of life. I've had opportunities like that lots of times. You probably have too, especially in the workplace of, of any place, you know dealing with the unbelievers and stuff, and, and uh, they just talk about junk, you know, and it's like, okay, well, well, how can I bring life into this conversation? We'll start sharing the gospel. Start sharing your testimony. And, you know, um, asking, them, Paul says here, ask that the Lord would open up the door to the Word. You, I have this picture in my mind. Now, I've been watching a lot of Perry Mason at about 10.30 at night before I go to sleep on MeTV. But, um, you know, all those detective shows, you know, there, there's the guys in Perry Mason is well, a perfect example, but there's other detective shows where they come upon a crime scene, right? And usually they come up to a house, and they're not going to break and enter into it because it's a good guy, it's not a bad guy, so he's not going to break the law. But he taps on the door, and the er, door's open. So it's like, hey, it's open, I guess I can walk in. And he walks in, and he finds a dead body, right? I mean, that's what usually happens in these TV shows like that. You know, you, you lightly press on the door, and it swings open. You and I had to do that in our conversations with people. How do we do that? We just, just share a little bit of the gospel. Just bring a little bit of Jesus into a conversation. You know, you're not going to break an enter. You're not going to charge in there and go, Oh, you sinner, you're going to hell. I mean, there might be times when that's appropriate, but generally not, right? So you're not going to go in there and you're not going to say, you know, you know, just plow into a guy and break an enter into their, into their lives. But you might just tap on the door a little. And, just, and, and that's just by bringing life into a conversation, bringing Jesus into a conversation, bringing spiritual issues into a conversation. Just push on the door a little bit, and if that door swings open, praise God, man, you can start sharing the gospel. You can start talking to some real needs, and you can bring life into a conversation with a person. And so that's what Paul is, you know, and by the way. You'll find out quick if the door is not going to open or not. I mean, you just especially if you share Jesus. I mean, you might share, you know, I believe in God, and they go, Yeah, me too. You know, uh, you know, there's all these paths to God, you know. But if you start saying Jesus, you'll find out real quick if the door is shut or not, because that's usually the key. (laughs) If that door, you know, start mentioning Jesus, and okay, well, I guess you don't want to talk about spiritual things. But hey, we're to be doing that, and so Paul says, pray for us that there'll be a door open. To share the word to make it manifest as I ought to speak. And now, as we move on further down into the last part of this chapter, in fact, the last part of this letter, Paul is closing his letter to the church at Colossae with greetings from fellow laborers, guys that were alongside him. You know, you think of the Apostle Paul. Here's this guy that's doing all this ministry. He's kind of like a Billy Graham. He's doing all, reaching all these people. But he wasn't alone. He had people that were helping him and ministering right alongside him. No man is by himself in the Gospels. You know, big ministry. It's always there's a group of people. There's a there's a there's a core group that are supporting and ministering right alongside. And so Paul is with these people, and he's sending greetings from these fellow laborers, and he's also giving some instructions. Now I don't know about you, but sometimes when you get to a, end of a one of the epistles, and you, you just like rattle through these, you know, this guy says that, and that guy can't pronounce his name, and you know, and you just rattle through, and you go, okay, and that's the end of the apostle I'll go to or the epistle I'll go to. An another one. Sometimes, though, and I think it's important sometimes that we take a close look at, you know, why did the Holy Spirit have these people in here? Why are these people named? There's, there's got to be a reason. And so when you and I dig in there, I think there's a lot that we can learn by taking a closer look at them. And that's what we're going to do the rest of this morning. Verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending you, uh, sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Apparently, the Colossians didn't know who Tychicus was. You probably go, I don't know who Tychicus is either. Um, so Paul describes him to them. And it seems that Tychicus carried this letter. Paul wrote this letter, and then he gave it to Tychicus to bring to the church at Colossae. Um, those words are almost identical to the ending of Ephesians chapter 6. It's almost word for word the same greeting regarding Tychicus. And so probably Tychicus also brought the letter Of Paul to the Ephesians as well. So he carried the letter of Colossians and the letter of Ephesians to these uh, two churches. We first meet Tychicus in Acts chapter 20. He accompanied Paul on his third and last missionary journey, and he's mentioned in a couple of Paul's letters. In Paul's letter to Titus, Paul says that he plans to send Tychicus, or Artemis, another guy, uh, to Crete, Crete was where Titus was pastoring. And he says, I'm either going to send Tychicus or Artemis to you, basically to take over Titus's job there in Crete, to free up Titus to come to meet Paul at Nicol- uh, Nicopolis, or the time where Paul was at when he wrote the, the letter to Titus. That's in Titus. In 2 Timothy... This is Paul's last letter. It's the last letter before Paul is executed. And if you read Second Timothy, he knows that his death is approaching soon. A very, very personal, very, very emotional letter, Second Timothy. In that letter, he says, "I've sent Timothy, or excuse me, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Ephesus was where Timothy was pastoring the church there. and what, what Paul was doing is he's sending Tychicus to, to Timothy there to allow Timothy to come to Paul to minister to Paul as he was approaching his execution and you know he was getting to the end of his life. And so Paul gives this description of Tychicus. He calls him a beloved brother, a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Who was Tychicus? He's the kind of person who was willing to be second. He was the kind of person that was willing to go wherever Paul needed him to go, and Paul took advantage of that. Paul used him. Paul was able to use him because Paul, because Tychicus didn't mind being second. He didn't mind just going and doing whatever the dirty work was. I'll go, I'll go to Crete and I'll minister, I'll take over to allow Titus to go to do something different, or I'll go to Ephesus to allow Timothy to Paul, or excuse me, Tychicus didn't mind doing that. And as a result, Tychicus earned Paul's trust. By his faithfulness. Now think about this. Faithfulness is such an important quality. Paul entrusted Tychicus with the letter of Colossians, the letter to Colossians, and the letter to Ephesians. Now, Tychicus was basically a gopher for Paul. Basically, that's all he was, was a gopher. Hey, go over here and do this. Go over here and do that. Go carry this for me. That's all what Tychicus' ministry was. But could you imagine if Tychicus kind of flaked out on his way to Colossus? It's like, you know what? Uh, these guys, they don't care about this letter. And, and he didn't deliver the letter. We wouldn't have the letter of Colossians in our Bibles today if Tychicus had not been faithful to deliver it. We would not have had the book of Ephesians, or the, the, the letter of Ephesians in our Bible, if Tychicus had not been faithful to deliver it. That's some big stuff. I mean, you look at what's in those. Those two letters—that's some important doctrinal stuff. And so, faithfulness is such an important thing. And so, Tychicus, man, he was a picture of faithfulness, not willing, not minding to be second. Paul was sending Tychicus with Onesimus. Onesimus was also from Colossae, and we find out in the letter of Philemon that Onesimus was a runaway slave. And he had ran away from his master, Philemon. And he had not only just ran away from his master, but he apparently took some stuff. He had stolen some stuff as he left, as he ran away from his master. Philemon was a born-again Christian, a member of the church at Colossae. And so Onesimus, he, he runs away from his master. He takes some property or money, whatever belongs to his master... And he's like, you know, I got to get out of here. And I'm like, where am I going to go? Well, you know what? Rome. Let's go to the big city. I can hide out there in Rome. You know, nobody, there's this big thing. You know, nobody's going to know me there. He goes to Rome, and by coincidence, he meets Paul there in Rome. And Paul ministers to Onesimus, and Onesimus becomes a born again believer in Jesus Christ. He becomes a brother in the Lord. And Onesimus' life is radically transformed. He starts ministering with Paul there in Rome. Now, he's so useful. Paul's like, man, I'd love to keep you around because, man, you've you've been a blessing to me. But you ran away from Philemon and you took stuff that didn't belong to you. You need to go back and make amends. You need to go back to Philemon. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon. It's the letter of Philemon that you have in the Bible. It's one chapter long. He gives it along with Onesimus, and he sends Onesimus, who once was unprofitable, but now is profitable, that's out of the letter of Philemon, uh, to Philemon. And Paul, in his letter, he says, you know, whatever Onesimus took from you, charge it to my account. I'll pay for whatever he stole from you. And he sends him back with Tychicus. And Tychicus, I think, you know, if Onesimus had showed up on his own, I think it might have been a little bit of a rougher, you know, reunion. But he's there with Tychicus. Tychicus can vouch for Onesimus' transformed life. What do we learn from Onesimus? I think obedience and trust. Can you imagine how Onesimus felt? Paul says, Man, you've been doing great here, but you know, you need to go back to the people you've wronged. You need to go back to Philemon. Could you imagine if you were Onesimus? You're you're a you're a slave, so you're lower on the totem pole. You've stolen from your master. You're transformed. You're a new person. It's like, man, I just want to live a new life now. I'm, I'm, I'm just being... Life is great here in Rome. And Paul says, yeah, but you need to go back and make amends with Philemon. You need to go back. That takes a lot of courage, first of all. It takes a lot of obedience, and it takes a lot of trust. We're not told what happened, but I'm willing to bet that he was received back as a brother, no longer as a slave. I I just, I just, I got to imagine that that's what happened. You know, it's interesting. There was a time in my life I rededicated my life to the Lord and came back to my old stomping ground in California and and, uh, had been married already, you know, already had kids and stuff. And for about a a one or two year period, when I first got back into town, nobody told me to do this. I didn't hear it in a Bible study I just, the Holy Spirit just said, you need to go back and just make amends with different people. And the Lord would lay people on my heart that, you know, I had just been a jerk to or whatever. And I needed to go back. And so I, and that, believe me, I was frightened. I remember one time knocking on a door and it was like, I was just like shaking in my boots. Like, why am I doing this? I'm so, I don't even have to do this, but I felt like the Lord was laying on my heart. And I had to go back to these people, just say, hey, you know what? I was a jerk back back in this time, you know, and stuff, and will you forgive me? And and you know what? It it took a lot of courage to do it, but I tell you what, the load that was lifted off of me to have a clear, it's just like, man, I have a clear conscience now. What a blessing that was for me personally. And you know, sometimes, it's a frightening thing to make amends with people. But you know what? I think there's definitely a blessing in it. And I'm sure it was for Onesimus as well. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, or Jesus, who was called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Aristarchus, we first hear of him in Acts chapter 19 at Ephesus. There's this, you know, Paul is ministering at Ephesus. Ephesus is where the temple of Diana is. And, and Paul is really starting to upset the business of the silversmiths who are making idols to Diana. And so it, the, the silversmiths get the whole city in an uproar. There's a complete riot, a literal riot with the entire city in Ephesus. And we find out in Acts chapter 19 that Aristarchus and Gaius, another guy, they're seized by the mob and they're dragged into the Colosseum there. We're not told what happened to them. We're not told if they were torn up or whatever. Uh, Apparently, it sounds like they were let go because at the end, you know, the the city clerk comes in and kind of quiets the mob and sends everyone away. But that's where we first meet Aristarchus. Dragged in during this riot, he's alongside Paul. Also, when Paul goes as a prisoner in chains to Rome, Aristarchus is on the boat with Paul. He's like a co-prisoner with Paul. It seemed like Aristarchus was with Paul whenever the worst things happened in Paul's life. He was just there with Paul. In fact, it's been suggested, I don't know if it's true, but it's been suggested that Aristarchus made Paul made Paul his master. In other words, he's like, I'm going to be his slave in order to be allowed to travel with Paul as a prisoner because here's my slave. Take him with me, you know. Um, Again, it's just been suggested. I don't know if that's true. According to tradition, Aristarchus was martyred in Rome by Emperor Nero. What do we see in Aristarchus? We see courage, and again, we see faithfulness. Man, Aristarchus is there right when the worst things are happening with Paul. He's just he's not he's not bailing out on Paul. He's there with Paul in the worst of the worst situations. He stuck with Paul through thick and thin. There's a proverb. There's, there's a proverb in I don't write I have the reference here, but it says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's what Aristarchus was. And sticking with Paul through thick and thin. Mark is mentioned, the cousin of Barnabas. We also know him in the Bible as John Mark. He was the young traveling companion of Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey. And on the first missionary journey, John Mark, or Mark, he flakes out. They get to Pamphylia, and John Mark's like, man, this is not for me. And he bails out on Paul and Barnabas. Okay, he's a young guy. You know, whatever, maybe he didn't count the cost. Whatever reason... He ends up leaving Paul and Barnabas on their own on their first missionary trip. So they get back from their missionary trip. A little bit later, the Lord lays on Paul's heart to go on another missionary trip. So he mentions to Barnabas, hey, we need to go back and start visiting all these churches that we started. Barnabas goes, great, I'll go start packing my bags. I'll tell uh, John Mark to pack his bags. And Paul goes, whoa, wait a minute. I don't want John Mark going with me. He's not faithful. He bailed out on us. And Barnabas was like, well, you know, of course it's his cousin. You know, what well, man, you ain't going to let my cousin go? You know, and they, they get into this big argument. The Bible says it was so sharp that Paul ended up, and Barnabas ended up going different ways. Uh, Paul took Silas with him, and Barnabas took John Mark, and they both went and uh, went on their own missionary trips. That's where we meet uh, John Mark. But now we see Paul have some really kind words about Mark. And I think what happened was, first of all, I think Mark probably matured in the Lord. But I also think Paul, as he's gotten older, and grace is just he's just been invaded by God's grace in his life. He doesn't hold a grudge. And and just you know, I think grace has just changed it. I think it's evidence in both of these lives here. We get a guy by the name of Jesus. I said Jesus. I used to work with a guy named Jesus in Texas. And, and we'd send emails that are instant messages, you know, to, to, to him. I would, because of my work, my job. And uh, it was always fun sending an instant message to Jesus. <laughs> it was like, dear Jesus, you know what? Anyways, real nice guy, Jesus. Anyways, so we got this guy here named Jesus, or Jesus, who is called Justice. It turns out, what do we know about him? Well, he's of the circumcision. That means he's a Jew. He's a fellow worker of Paul, and he's also a comfort to Paul. We don't know much more. In fact, we don't know anything more about Jesus. I keep saying Jesus, Jesus, I'm sorry. But you can be sure that his service to Paul and his work for the kingdom of God didn't go unnoticed by God, and that he has a reward. You know, sometimes you and I, you know, we get opportunities to minister and stuff, and we have to. you have to come to a point where you're, you're like, Am I willing to minister behind the scenes without any recognition? Apparently Jesus Jesus did. Verse 12. Epaphras... Who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. What do we need to know about Epaphras? It's everything that's described right here in this letter. He's a bondservant of Christ. He's an intercessor. In other words, he's a prayer warrior he's laboring fervently for others in prayer why does he say he labors fervently well because prayer is not easy it's not effortless it isn't and if you ever gotten up early in the morning or you know you you're like i'm going to spend this time praying you know that it sometimes it's, it's not just like okay it's like everything falls into place great let's pray your flesh i mean it's a battle sometimes it's a battle to stay focused in your prayer. It's a, it's a battle to even start praying. And it's a battle to, to keep praying. And, you know, it's it's labor. It is work to pray. Our flesh resists it. Now, it's one thing to overcome our flesh and to pray fervently for ourselves. You've got this great need going on. I, I just, you know, I, I really need to focus and praying on it. You know, I mean, that's one thing. But Epaphras, Epaphras overcame his flesh and prayed fervently for others, for other people. Man, that's an intercessor. That's a prayer warrior. Epaphras, he probably had bad knees, and he probably wore out his knees praying fervently for others. He had a great zeal for the body of Christ, and it was evidenced by his prayer for them. Man, that's a a great quality, to be others-centered and to be praying for others. Verse 14, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you. Paul, we know from the Bible that he had ailments. We think it might have been some kind of an eye problem, but he had medical issues. Um, He and his traveling companions, there was a guy by the name of Trophimus, who was a friend of Tychicus, actually. They both were from the same area. Trophimus got so sick on one of their missionary journeys that they had to leave him behind in Miletus, and he had to stay there. I mean, he was just too sick to to continue. And so, um, here, Luke, the beloved physician, as we know, um, God provided a physician, provided somebody who could provide medical care for Paul and his traveling companions on his missionary trips. And obviously, Paul and the guys needed it. And so, Luke provided a very practical ministry to Paul and to those people that were alongside him. Practical ministry. Sometimes, you know, we can take that for granted, but practical ministry is so important in the church. Just doing the most Common practical things. You think, well, I'm not really, you know, I'm not. It's not really a big thing. No, it is a big thing. Anything that anyone does in ministry is a big thing. There is no small ministry. But there's something else that I see in Luke, in his character, and I think it's humility. And I don't know that it comes out evident. You know, I don't think it just pops out in this passage of scripture. But if you know who Luke is. Luke's the author of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is also the author of the book of Acts. And in both those Gospels, or in that Gospel and in the book of Acts, he never mentions his own name. You wouldn't know that unless you dug in and you find out about it, that Luke was the author of those books. Luke is a kind of guy, I think, that was not out for his own attention. He just ministered silently, behind the scenes, you know, just... Doing practical ministry, didn't need to get attention, and I think that's that's humility. I think it's great quality. Paul says, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you. It's curious to me that Paul doesn't say anything about Demas, doesn't call Demas the beloved plumber or whatever, you know, whatever his job was, doesn't say who he was, doesn't say the faithful Demas, he just says Demas greets you. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Why did Paul have nothing positive to say about Demas? Did Paul possibly see something in Demas that he's not sharing here in this letter? Possibly. Because when you get to Second Timothy, it's the only other time that Demas is mentioned in the Bible. Again, Second Timothy, Paul knows that his end is near. He's, he's sent Tychicus to Ephesus. There's people that have been going and the the guys that have been with him and going into different ministries, different places. And, And Paul's at a point in his life where probably he needed encouragement more than any other time in his life. And it says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 9, Paul's writing to Timothy. and He says, be diligent to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica at a time when Paul probably needed encouragement more than any other time in his life, Demas leaves. And, and there's other people that left. But Paul doesn't say, you know, Demas just left. He says, Demas forsake, forsook me, having loved this present world. Demas is one of these believers. He started out well. I mean, he's, he's got zeal for the ministry. He's going out. He's serving the Lord. He's going alongside Paul. But he didn't finish well. And I have to wonder if maybe Paul was already recognizing when he was writing the letter to Colossians, if he's already starting to recognize the symptoms in Demas. He's losing his focus. You know, he's starting to look at the things of the world. And, you know, again, that's speculation on my part. Verse 15 Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphis and the church that is in his house. Now, Laodicea was very near Colossus. And Nymphus apparently was a church leader at Laodicea. You know, for the first couple hundred of years, couple hundred years that the church existed, it was basically made up of house churches. They didn't have buildings like this where people came from their homes to meet together together. They met in homes and, and in the individual homes they had pastors of those homes who shepherded them. Nymphus was one of these pastors. Verse 16. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the letter, excuse me, read the epistle from Laodicea. You know, although these epistles were written to specific churches and specific individuals, Paul wanted these letters to be circulated among the church. In fact, they're called the circular epistles because they were meant to be read in all the churches. They were to encourage all the believers, not just one particular church. Now, it's interesting. We don't know what the epistle to Laodicea is. Some have suggested it's the letter, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We don't really know. Apparently, it's not in our Bible, though, unless it is the book of Ephesians. Um, It might have been lost. You might say, oh, wait a minute, we lost one of the letters. Um, I think it's safe to say that it was not meant to be in the Scriptures that you and I have because it's not there, because I think God would have made sure it was there if it was meant to be there. You know, of all the Scriptures that we do have in the Bible, Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 3.16, "...all Scripture is given by inspiration of God." and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible, or the palm reader, or the phone, whatever you're holding in your hand, reading scriptures, um, what you hold in your hand was meant by God, it was written to individuals, it was specific things, specific stories, but it was written so that you and I would be encouraged and be built up and to be warned or whatever. The, the Scriptures are for you. They're, they're, they're relevant for you today, just like they were relevant to the people that they were written to in that day. So I want to encourage you to read your Bibles, to study your Bibles. Verse 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. It's kind of interesting to me that Paul doesn't say, Archippus, you know, take heed to your ministry. He tells the believers in Colossae, he tells them to tell Archippus to take heed to his ministry and uh, to fulfill the ministry that he's received. In our, the book of Philemon, the letter from five, or five, the letter from Paul to Philemon, Archippus is mentioned there. We find out in that letter that he had a church in his house. Paul ta- calls Archippus a fellow soldier. Interesting, a fellow soldier. You know, soldiers they get bloodied, they get bruised, they get war weary in battle. And Paul was probably recognizing that in Archippus. This guy's, this guy's been battered and bloodied. Man, he's, he's weary. And so he says to the other believers around him, hey, you go to Archippus and encourage him. Tell him to take heed of the ministry that he's received, that he might fulfill it. And I think it's an important point that Paul tells the other believers, you guys that are around him, go to him and encourage him. Continue the fight. You know, we have brothers and sisters in our fellowship here, and some have been bloodied, some have been bruised, some are war-weary, and they're thinking of giving up the fight. It's our jobs. You and I here today, we're to go to those people, and we're to encourage them. We're to to come alongside them, encourage them, hey, don't give up. Stand with them. We're to fervently pray for one another were to fervently encourage one another. And I would ask for you, as you spend time in prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the needs of this body of believers to you. What way can you encourage someone? What way can you come alongside someone and help someone? How can you minister? Are you willing to be second? Are you willing to just do something practically, but you know, maybe you're not going to get any recognition for it? Are you willing to do that for the body, for the kingdom of God? These men were apparently. You know, I would encourage you to look at this letter and to try to see yourself in there. Man, am I an Archippus? Am I a Tychicus? Hopefully, you don't say. Hopefully, you don't go. well, I'm a Demas. You know, because we don't need. We don't want demuses here. But, you know, look at John Mark. He started well. I mean, he didn't start that well, but he finished well. And maybe, maybe you've gotten sidetracked. Maybe you have been kind of, you know, thinking about giving up or walking away or, or whatever. Just like John Mark, man. Let God change your heart. Let God change you. And he will. And we're here to come alongside you and to minister to you. Uh, of course, that also means you have to be willing to open up. You have to be willing to tell, hey, I've got this need. And uh, we're not here to judge anyone. We're here to minister. We we all suffer with things. We all struggle in certain areas. And uh, we need each other. And so I think it's really cool that Paul tells the believers there, hey, go find that guy and encourage him. Because he needed it, apparently. The end of the letter, verse 18 This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen.